0: Kristen, thank you, team. Um, if you are new, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here, and it's good to be back. Um, I had a week off last week, which was really nice—a nice time of vacation. But even just standing here in the front row, hearing, uh, hearing all these voices singing over, um, singing over one another, just a real good reminder of why we gather. Why we um, gather for worship on Sunday to encourage one another to hear uh, God's word uh, preached and. Um, to encourage one another. So it's good to be back. Um, before, we, before we dive in, we're, we're marching along through Matthew uh, in chapter 13, but before we continue that, um, let's, let's pause and ask for God's help uh, in this work. God, thank you um, that this is, that is good news that we can sing over one another, not of good that I have done, nothing but the blood of Jesus, uh, can wash away our sins, can make us whole. Again, God, that is the best news in the world. I pray that would root deeply in our hearts uh, this morning, that we would um, come to know and love that truth, um, and God, where I speak my own words uh, uh, in the preaching of your word, I pray those would fall away, but where I speak your word after you, God, I pray um, that your spirit would be active in teaching, convicting, and changing the hearts of us, even here on the spot. Um, I pray that would be true, and I ask that in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, every day millions of Christians around the world pray uh, the Lord's Prayer, right? This prayer that we um, just recited together, uh, asking for God's kingdom to come and His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, given the number of um, people, of time zones, of churches, I mean, it's it's not unreasonable to think that probably at any given given moment, someone somewhere is praying those words: "Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth." as it is in heaven, and not just now, not just today, right, but for 2,000 years, Christians have been praying this prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. Through disease and famine, through war and revolutions on every continent, dozens of countries, hundreds of languages and people groups, your kingdom come, your will be done. Which leads me, when I think about all this time and all these prayers and all these Christians, And think about the the world that we live in and the brokenness that surrounds all of us every day. It it leads me to ask almost an awkward question. Aren't you just a little bit disappointed with Jesus? We were in Chicago this last week for vacation, which was a really good time. I think just about every friend that we have there has had a baby or two since we moved uh, back to Kansas City, so it was good to visit friends and family um, in a city that we love, that we grew to love in the three years that we lived there, but, but it's also a place where from, from Thursday afternoon to Friday morning of the time that we were there, a, a 16-hour stretch, there were, there were 20 shootings across the city. 20 in, in less than a day. And sadly, in many ways, this is not like news news. I mean, it, it sort of moves the needle a little bit, but it's so common in a city like Chicago. It's common in some ways. Here in Kansas City. And I know people in Chicago who are engaged in the brokenness, who are praying this prayer, pleading with God Your kingdom come, your will be done in Chicago as it is in heaven. Isn't the world supposed to be better than this? Right now that Jesus is here, He's king, He's announced that His kingdom has come, why hasn't He done something about the violence in Chicago or the racism in our country or the poverty? In our world, right, and in the minds of many who question Christianity, maybe some even in this room right now, this is the defeater argument, right? This is the main objection, the biggest hurdle, the hardest pill to swallow. If the kingdom is so good, if this gospel that we have, that we proclaim is so good, why is everything still so bad? Why does it seem that despite all these prayers across time, across the, the globe, why does it seem that despite all these prayers, the kingdom isn't coming? Jesus, if you are who you say you are and you can do what you say you can do and your kingdom is all that it's cracked up to be, why does it seem so disappointing? Why is it so conf- confusing? Why is there still so much evil broken around us? And to be honest, uh, aren't you, I'm Christian, in your heart of hearts at times, at least, just a little bit disappointed with Jesus? Isn't it supposed to be better than this? If you've ever found yourself struggling with that, that question, you would not be the first. The Jews of Jesus' day, they had a very difficult time wrapping their minds around Jesus, who came saying, I am the Messiah. I'm the one that was prophesied to come, God's chosen servant, had a hard time wrapping their minds around it because they were astounded by his teaching, right? He's, he's brilliant. He taught with authority. They were wowed by his miracles. They were incredible. But when he talked about himself as the king, the one who is being installed as God's, cho- the, God's plan for his people, things didn't add up in their minds, right? It didn't make sense because if you ask a first-century Jew, what is the kingdom of God?, they would have said, oh, well, it's when God comes back through his chosen servant, the Messiah, and he wipes out all of Israel's enemies, so in this, in this case, Rome, and he makes Israel great again, right? He restores the greatness of God's people. So you can understand their disappointment with Jesus. Here's a guy who can do anything he wants to do, right? He heals the sick. He casts out demons. He cleanses lepers. He teaches with authority and clarity, The captivated large crowds, right? And and given his humble beginnings, his humble roots, he had gained a really impressive following. Yet, he also loves the Romans. He also welcomed a tax collector, the worst of the worst in many ways. He welcomed that guy into his inner circle. He befriends the enemy constantly. and And then he teaches his followers to do the same. He runs away from conflict, not into it. He goes into hiding, and even when people try to get, help him get this thing off the ground, right, he rebukes them for it. As, as popular as Jesus probably was, he, as he was with the crowds, you got to think, some of them are thinking, Jesus, just get on with it. Let's go. It's time to go get them. Let's get this kingdom thing started and established. They were disappointed in Jesus, and it's hard to blame them. Sometimes we feel the same kind of disappointment. Why is Jesus' kingdom so disappointing? Well, we run into that today in Matthew's gospel, chapter 13, where Jesus gives us, he continues to teach the crowds in parables. We saw that last week. He gives us several parables that get right at this tension of a disappointing kingdom, and we'll only be able to cover a few of these parables but but he also shows us not just why it seems disappointing to us but despite all that despite all the disappointment and confusion why his kingdom is worth absolutely everything so those are the two questions that we'll answer this morning why does this kingdom seem so disappointing at times and but why too is it also worth absolutely everything so first that first question why why the kingdom seems so Disappointing. If you have a Bible, turn to, to Matthew chapter thirteen. We'll be starting uh, in verse twenty-four, where Kristen read for us. Jesus' answer comes in again the form of a parable. The text that we just heard read, where, where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a field with a farmer uh, who sowed some wheat. Which is not hard; it's not hard to imagine in this part of the world, right? We understand uh, right away that the, the kingdom of heaven is like a wheat field. But before the, the farmer can harvest, the reap, reap the wheat, so between the sowing and the reaping of his crop, an enemy sneaks in and sows some bad seed. He sows some weeds. He intentionally tries to ruin the farmer's crop. And, and the, the weed in question here is probably a plant called Darnell, which uh, as it grew up, it, it looked just like wheat. It would have been a farmer's worst nightmare. Uh, it, it looks just the same as wheat until the very end when it's harvest time and there's nothing there. There's no grain. It's worthless. Darnell is worthless. So you have a situation where the weed is, the field is full of wheat and weeds that are growing together, that are vying for resources, that are competing for the water and the nutrients and everything they need to survive and thrive and it's only when they're growing up, you imagine it's pretty close to the end here, where the farmhands say, hold on, look, there are weeds in this, in this field. Farmer, farmer Joe, like, didn't you, didn't you just sow good seed? Like, isn't this supposed to be just wheat? And, and he says, yeah, that's true. An enemy must have snuck in and done this. The farmer knew that he had sowed good seed. It must have been another. So the farmhands offered a clear Clear the field right away. They say, so should we go pull the weeds? Should we go take care of this? And, and the farmer who, who Jesus later explains uh, is himself, he says, no, leave them, leave them be, which, which is a, a shocking response with equally shocking implications for the kingdom, but we'll get to that in a minute. But you can imagine the farm hands, what do you mean, no? Like, should we deal with the enemy now? No. Should we remove the opposition? No. Should we make life easier for the good, seed for the wheat? No. Jesus says, not yet. He's explicit in the parable that removing the weeds too early would destroy the wheat. So he says, leave it until the harvest. Why are we often disappointed in Jesus' kingdom? Why were the Jews disappointed in his kingdom? Because we fail to remember that there are weeds mixed in with the wheat. His kingdom is mixed Between the sowing and the reaping, between Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and the end of time when he comes back, the kingdom is, in many ways, a mixed bag. It's a farm with good and evil at work, with allies and enemies, with joy and pain, with wheat and weeds. It's mixed. It's not pure. Which means as Christians, or even as people considering the faith, we have to expect evil to remain, to grow up next to the good. We should expect this world to be a mess until the very end. There's an enemy at work in the midst of Jesus' kingdom, and for now, Jesus says, I'm content with that, which is hard for me to even say that, but it seems to be what what he's telling us, what he's teaching us in this story. What's clear is there is an enemy, an enemy to your life. There's a person, a very, very powerful person with very powerful weapons like like greed and death and pride and violence, who is absolutely hell-bent on choking the life out of you and out of me. And there are weeds all around us, all the time that take from you, weeds that threaten to destroy you, slowly, broken relationships, abuse, Cancer, sickness, pain, death itself. There are things in, in your life, in the world right now, that we wish Jesus would just pull up out of the ground, right? Get rid of those things. But instead, he says, at least for now, let them grow together. And in some way, this is what is best for the wheat. It won't grow to maturity. It won't produce the fruit that it's meant to produce otherwise. Otherwise. Because pulling up the weeds will, will pull up the wheat, will destroy it. He has his reasons. We won't always know those reasons. Sometimes we will, but most, most of the time we won't. So be prepared for evil to remain, for, the, for opposition, for hardship. Because the kingdom is, is mixed, and evil will grow up next to good. But that's not the only reason uh, that we're disappointed with the kingdom. Look at verse 31, another parable uh, about the kingdom. He says, he he put another parable before them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So he says, the the kingdom of heaven is like a seed so insignificant that many will not even see it. it. They won't notice it, which is what we saw last week, right? The seed, it's, the kingdom can be easy to miss because it's small like a seed. It can be underwhelming because it, because it is small. At least it started that way, right? It's like the smallest seed you can imagine. Now, I don't know about you. Um, whenever I try to, to plant anything or to grow anything, I am um, pretty skeptical that anything is going to happen. Uh, when I, whenever I make an attempt at that, par- partly because... Um, whatever the opposite of a green thumb is, that's what I have. That's what we have uh, collectively in some ways as a family. We just we tend to kill things. Uh, but it's also because it's hard for me to imagine a small, teeny, tiny, it, itty bitty little seed taking root and over time actually becoming something fruitful, like a tree that birds can come and make uh, nests in. But that's what Jesus says the kingdom is like, a little seed that will grow into a large tree so that birds will be actually be able to roost in it. That's how big it will be. And we can actually test this to be true. I mean, this is the one parable here where we can say, actually, this is, this is happening, right? A small, seemingly ins- insignificant group of followers of Jesus took his message of the kingdom and eventually changed the world. I mean, we are here right now because this parable is true in many ways. In that sense, the kingdom isn't disappointing at all. But, but this parable doesn't just describe the rise of Christianity, the spread of Christianity in the world. It also describes the way that Jesus' kingdom tends to work in our hearts, tends to work in our lives. A small, unnoticeable, seemingly insignificant seed that takes time to grow. That's what, that's what Jesus offers his followers for life change growth over time. Slow, incremental change. And I don't know about you, but if I had it my way, our king, King Jesus, would come uh, with, and bring immediate results, right? The lines would always be shooting up and in, in the black, right? Fast-acting, long-lasting growth. We want Jesus' kingdom to be more like transplanting a tree than sowing a little seed, Right? And while we're at it, just bring the big one, right, bring a crane in, dig a big hole, pop it in, backfill with some dirt, boom, kingdom's here, it's done, right? Yeah, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Not just in the world, but in our lives, right? That's how I want it, in my heart. But Jesus says the kingdom is like a seed that slowly, 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 incrementally changes the world and changes, changes your heart so we should expect slow progress. We should expect things to take time. We should expect that some of our prayers may seem to go unanswered or that it seems like Jesus is losing in the world or it seems like the seed isn't growing when things seem stalled. But there's progress even if it is slow. God's kingdom too will prevail. That's the other parable here where, where Jesus talks about the leaven or the yeast. Where Jesus' reign will stretch into every square inch of the universe. Right? Every nook and cranny of your heart. Jesus will reign there like yeast that works its way throughout a whole lump of dough. God's kingdom will be all encompassing. Nothing will escape his reign not in the end. So be encouraged. Work Work at it with the long view. Keep the long view in mind, both when you think about God's kingdom being established in this world and when you think about him taking reign in your heart. The seed is growing, but it starts out small, and it takes time. The kingdom is mixed, and it's small, um, but those aren't the only reasons that we can find the kingdom to be disappointed. He says one more hard thing about the kingdom. Look at verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into the containers but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there were lots of kinds of fish in the Sea of Galilee, and, and many who heard this parable were, would have been fishermen and would have understood this right away. But in that day, fishermen didn't you know, cast lines like we like to fish. You know, they would have boats with nets uh, tied between them, and they would they would drag these nets to, to haul one big catch of fish at one time. And when the net felt right good and full, they'd pull it to the shore um, and and get out and sort, it, sort the good and the bad. Some of the fish were alive, uh, good to eat, good to sell, but others would be dead. They would be rotten or they would be considered ceremonial, ceremonially unclean. Right? They couldn't eat those things. So the, the fishermen would have to sit down and sort out the good from the bad. What was edible, what was sellable, what wasn't. And Jesus says the kingdom he is bringing is like that. It's like a net that's coming for you, whether you want it or not. Every fish and every kind of fish is destined to get caught in this net. And at the end of time, someone is going to decide uh, whether you are a good fish or not. And the kingdom here is pretty clear in this parable isn't for everyone, which is about the worst thing you could say in the West or in our country, right? Um, No one likes to hear judgments coming. There's going to be a separation of people Right, we want it, we want a kingdom for everyone, right? That's all inclusive. Everyone wins in the end, right? But Jesus' point here, and all over the Gospels, is that the kingdom is only for those who follow him, who respond to him in faith. And many will not choose him. That has, be, that has been painfully clear throughout this, the Gospel of Matthew. Many will not choose him. His own rejected him, wanted him dead, right? So we've got to expect judgment to come. It's kind of the third application point this morning. Expect judgment to come. We've got to live like what we do matters in the end. Like who we follow matters in the end. Like what we love matters in the end. Who we trust, what we say. All of these things, they matter in the end. We've got to know that we cannot mess around with Jesus. Jesus. That has been clear throughout this gospel, and it hits us again right here. Both with the parable of the weeds, right? At the end, those weeds are going to be gathered up and thrown away into the fire. These bad fish will be sorted out of the net and tossed. There is a judgment coming, and we want that to be true. Deeply, deep down, we, we all live like there has to be something in the end. Someone in the end that makes, makes all wrongs right. Right? Everything depends on our response to him, whether we like it or not. The net is coming for us. And the irony here is that the good fish, the the ones who are worthy of Jesus' kingdom, are the ones who think they are unworthy to be in. They cry out to God for help. The the people most ready for Jesus' kingdom are the ones who know deep down they are bad fish in the net. And that means that getting into Jesus' kingdom is primarily an exercise in in admitting just how terrible you are. And nobody, I mean, nobody wants to do that, even Christians, even those of us who come here today and say, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. When somebody confronts us with something, we, we act, we try to self-justify. We act like, uh, we, we act like, not, like we, we're really not those who need a Savior, right? But that's not the kingdom that Jesus offers. It's, it's, it's where those who are humble make it. Only, only sinners who know they are sinners will, will choose it. Only those who trust Jesus to be their advocate will have a place in his kingdom. this kingdom isn't for everyone. It's mixed. There's opposition. Evil will remain, right? It's slow. It's sometimes hard to see, to believe that God is actually doing something. That's the kingdom that Jesus has come to offer. That's why when we're really honest, we're sometimes disappointed with it. But Jesus isn't done. He basically says, I know this wasn't what you were expecting But this kingdom I am bringing is worth your disappointment. In fact, it's worth absolutely everything. I mean, the kingdom does at times seem disappointing. It really does. And Jesus puts his finger on that in these parables. But he also says it is worth absolutely everything. Why? Well, Jesus gives two quick parables at the end to answer that question. Look down at verse 45 with me. It says again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding the one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven, when you truly grasp what it is, is like finding that one thing that you've been searching your entire life for. And if you're a collector of pearls, like the man in this parable, The kingdom is like the the perfect pearl that you have spent your entire career searching for. And once you find it, you're willing to give give up everything else for it. All the other pearls that you've collected over your career, you sell those for this one. This pearl is worth everything you have. And that's what the kingdom is like, like Jesus says. It's that one thing where if you have it, that's all you need. You don't need anything else. It's the ultimate prize. I mean, the, the guy in this story... He has no money for food. He has no money for clothing. He has no money for housing, right? He has no money for anything. He has a pearl. And in the most important ways, that is enough. And Jesus also says the kingdom is is like a treasure buried in a field which may sound like like a fun kid story or, or something, right? I mean, it's, there's buried treasure with a map or something, but, but it actually was a pretty common practice back in that day when you didn't have a bank, right? You'd bury your valuable stuff, and then someday you'd, you'd die, and then someone else would find your buried hidden treasure. And Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like finding that treasure. And when you find it in your joy, you sell all that you have to get that land, and then the treasure is yours. And his point here, both with the pearl and with the treasure, is not that the kingdom is going to cost you everything, even though it will. His point is that when you grasp what it is, when you understand what is being offered to you in this kingdom, with this king and the way that he reigns, when you get it, you will joyfully and willingly give up everything else you have to get it. He's already acknowledged that this kingdom is not what we expected or wanted. Right? It's mixed, it's slow, it's exclusive. We don't want that. So how can it be like this great pearl, like a, like a treasure that we're willing to give away, give up everything for? How can it be? The Jews of Jesus' day were, I mean, they wondered the same thing. How can this be what we really want? How can it be worth the hardship, the, the opposition, the rejection, all the things that, that Jesus has called us to this point in this gospel, that we know we will suffer if we follow him. He basically says back to us and to the Jews of his day, you are disappointed in my kingdom, not because you want more than what I can offer, but because you want less. He says, you have absolutely no idea how radical and comprehensive and far-reaching my kingdom is, and how deep and pervasive and serious the problems of this world are. The problem's in your heart, right? The Jews of his day, and really to the same extent, us today, we, we think the problem is Rome, right? It's the politics. It's the presidential race. It's the policy makers. It's the culture war that we're part of, right? It's the economy. It's bad. Like, if the economy was good, then everything would be fine, right? Whatever it is, we say, Jesus, if you fixed that, then, we, then everything would be fine. But he says, no, the problem is so much deeper than that. There's an evil at the root of reality itself. There's an evil in your heart and mine. A cancer that is destroying the whole universe. Sin and death are big problems. And Jesus is saying, I know the kingdom is mixed. I know it's slow. I know it's controversial. Not everyone will like it, but I am bringing a cosmic revolution so much bigger than you and I can imagine. I mean we want, we want a world where you can set up a business and not be taxed for it and you get to keep your earnings. I mean that's that's the kind of, that's the kind of, kind of kingdom that we that we want. But Jesus is bringing a world where there's no poverty, there is no hunger, there is no need. We want a kingdom where if we just work a little harder, if we just try a little more, if we could just be a little better, Everything will work out in the end for everyone who has good intentions. That's that's the type of kingdom world that we want. But Jesus is offering a kingdom. He flips it upside down. He says, no, life comes through death. Glory comes through suffering and shame. This kingdom is, is one where those who are in are those who know they should be out. Where all the joy that we were made for is offered freely to us in Jesus He's bringing a world without loneliness, without pain, without divorce, without family brokenness, without racial injustice, a world without cancer or sickness or pain or tears or death itself self or senseless shootings. That's the world that is coming. That kingdom is coming, folks. Jesus is telling the truth here. Is it slower than we want? Yes. Is it harder than you and I imagined it would be? Yes. Is it more than I bargained for? Yes. Is it worth it? Yes, absolutely. When you find a kingdom like this, a treasure like this, you buy. You give everything up for it. This is what his kingdom is like, where every square inch of the universe is under his good, gracious, wise, loving reign. And the prayers of the saints throughout history, now and forever, will be answered. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray.